0: Rufus Pollock, welcome to Radio Wolf. I'm happy to have you here.
1: Thank you, Thomas. It's a real pleasure to be talking with you today.
0: Rufus, you are doing a lot of things. You have science background, economic background, um, but you, or you created an organization that's called Life Itself. And as far as I understand, you see uh, this organization as being part of a bigger movement that's happening right now, where people try to find new forms of life practices, living together, and and, and new angles on our reality that allows us to respond to the crisis of our time. Can you just say in some words, uh, what motivated you to create life itself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and first, I want to say that I'm a co-founder and very much it's a collaborative endeavor. Uh, in particular, my, my actual live partner was the co-founder, Sylvie Barbier, who's a performance artist, uh, and many, many others, and a kind of visionary curator, and Liam Kavanagh, and there have been also a large number of other people. So I just want to acknowledge the kind of ancestors, my collaborators, all the people who contributed to this coming to fruition. Um, you asked a little bit about my path specifically to it, I think. And I guess I don't want to go back too far, but certainly since, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to turn 42, um, over 25 years since my, uh, teenage years, I had kind of a strong interest, I guess, in two areas. One was in consciousness in you know when i was 13 14 i was reading neuroscience textbooks and i was i got into zen buddhism and meditation in my late uh you know my late teens and i've been i am a zen buddhist i've been practicing now meditation for about 25 years 22 years and then the other was in social change like how it was so visible even at the simplest level of the playground uh, as a child, you know uh, of how we treated each other how the 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 fat kid or the kid with glasses or the person who was this or that or me uh would would get you know excluded or included or how it would go, and the kind of injustice and the suffering was viscerally present to me as a as a child. I'm, I think now like, I'm on the autistic spectrum and what would be called, you know, in the old days, Asperger's. And I didn't know that though as a child, but I really had this sense of like, there's something not right here. And then more visibly in wider society as I got older. And so those two um, channels in or kind of, uh, uh, kind of inclinations or pulls in me have always been looking to somehow connect. And... You know, for a while, I worked more in I'd call like systemic change. I did a lot of work around um, the information society, how we regulate this world or how we run this world made of bits rather than atoms. But really, I think I was always knew that in my heart, the really the real change that we need, the real transformation we need start has to have a kind of primacy of our being of of our culture, of our inner Mm -hmm. world. And so that's what really brought me to, to found or co-found life itself in 2015, 2016, um, which was about making a radically wiser and weller world, How, and particularly wiser. Like this was not a term that you, you know, I worked in philanthropy, you know, I worked in areas with philanthropy. People don't really say that with a straight face, but that's what we need is a, a wiser, more awakened um, more integral, uh, you know,
0: waking up, cleaning up, growing up, showing up world. Um, oh, cool. Uh, life itself seems to be part of something that I perceive as a bigger movement. There yeah. are, particularly in the younger generation, a lot of initiatives to live together, to practice together, to work together, and to do this with a focus on consciousness and culture at the same time. Uh, first do you perceive the same bigger movement as as happening and h- how do you interpret it what's going on here
1: well i think that's a really fascinating and and, and great question uh thomas so first of all I, I the first gatherings of life itself like in 2016 um i remember i, I at least was involved in a presentation about what i called co-ex like co-living co-working co-creating you know, there's all this um, and there was this sense that just even that area of something bubbling up. So I think there really is um, something happening here. Um, uh, we don't know what it is, as the song goes. The, there's, I think, to answer the specific question, there's there's like a big kind of historical question, then there's kind of a factual question: is there something happening? And I could also point, you know, we and many we've been involved in even a, an ecosystem mapping project at Life itself that kind of starts to document this and try and sense what that is uh i've always been fascinated by the 60s which i think kind of i mean obviously stuff happened after the 60s with the last great bubbling up of some kind of something um that in that was certainly very visible is as, as a kind of radical or intriguing uh shift so to answer, I think one that is real evidence, I think you can document that in even attitudes. One of the I think great drivers is just this foundational breaking down that's becoming so visible that people spoke to for 50 years or longer. But in the climate crisis, in the crisis, the political crisis, in the sense of um. You know the the consensus of neoliberal capitalism or whatever is really breaking down. There's inner you know inequality, democracy is not functioning very well. Um there are these really visible stresses and dysfunction of the systems in which we've been in. And I think the second part of that for people is that while that may have been there before, there was a sense maybe it was going to get patched. There was some kind of relatively minor corrections that were going to get made we were going to do some more redistribution of wealth you know tax system was going to get reformed or we would do this or that and i think there's a real sense especially amongst younger generation um that that something is really wrong and it's wrong foundationally and that and and that also turning into a cynicism and to some degree at the beginning hopelessness and then a sense also of in a small areas of real impossibility for a foundational shift. Because sadly with humans, it seems that we're not yet wise enough to to always we need to kind of have we need to hurt ourselves to take action on something a little bit. Unfortunately, it doesn't yet. It, I, I hope we will be wise enough that we won't get, have to get too hurt. But it that aspect of something really visibly not working is seems to be key to a sort of kind of waking up for ourselves, so to answer you, yes, I think something's happening. I think it's also a generational thing to finish, which is we are two generations from the sixties or seventies, so that's kind of the pendulum swings and pendulum swings back um, and uh these other reasons
0: let, let me let, let me uh, talk to that because. You say the pendulum is kind of swinging back and there's some reasons to think that way. At the same time, it's not swinging back. It's also swinging to a new place.
1: Yes. of course.
0: What's the new new place that it's swinging to, as far as you can see it?
1: Well, I think I want to distinguish, just in answering that in humility, Mm -hmm. one is I don't think we're ever going to exactly know in, in the sense that I think one, I just want to really start with this humility of that. That it's an experiment and one can have, and also to distinguish what one would like from what could would happen will happen. Um, and those twos are linked. What we if enough of us want something, then we go that way. I think on the positive, on the on the best version of it, I mean it 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 is, you know, if we could take an integral perspective here or just a general kind of cultural evolutionary perspective that in human history there have been these kind of breakthroughs and I can mention here this idea that we've been talking about life itself of the second renaissance clearly in the break the break what we could call the breakthrough to modernity you know, there was the Middle Ages, we had the Renaissance beginning and over a long period of time, hundreds of years, a new kind of Mm. consciousness, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of understanding ourselves as human beings, of seeing our place uh, in in the cosmos, new techniques of understanding of epistemology, of uh, new kind of ontology came forth. Um, I think that we're in that kind of moment, potentially. And my hope is that that, could happen and to describe some features of that. One, I and I think this is really, I just want to obviously acknowledge the influence of, of Wilbur and Integral and, and, and many, and for me also of Buddhism and so on. One, I think that's really important is this idea of that we can grow in an inner way. So, mm-hmm. we in modernity, if you like, modernity, in a crude sense, at least. Almost economically and socially became about material growth in its reductionist version. I mean, it does there are many other wonderful things in modernity. I don't want and that there was a good thing about material growth. Let's be really clear. Um but that sort of became its focus, at least in how, how we satisfied our wants, how we became, you know, like economics is the kind of reduction of that. Of like, we you know, you've got these infinite wants and you're going to try and satisfy them with as much, you know, eat as much ice cream or have as many cars or you know it's, it's kind of more, more is good of material stuff and so I think the single biggest potential change in this second renaissance is this shift to see the growth of our inner of ourselves kind of in our inner selves our being and our collective being and of course those two things are not separable they're not cleanly separable the individual and the collective we're sort of interwoven I think that is a really and that that's one of the things that I think that you do see more and more people seeing and acknowledging like no one can sit there really now and think wow if we multiply GDP even if it was feasible by 10 times you know I don't know we have 500,000 GDP per capita you know something that I mean? people would be that much happier you know it, it it's at the pastoral level the 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 futility of that model the kind of the end game of that model is visible, let alone its impact on the planet. And then on the kind of collective level, the dysfunction of that is very visible. So we really need the shift. And I think that's really visible to people now. And I think that's one really key aspect of the future and that Wilbur really speaks about, but I think it's crucial. I call that the kind of the shift to an ontological politics. We've had a material politics, a politics focused and an economy focused on how do we make more stuff how do we distribute that stuff? To how do we cultivate the being? And then you have to come yeah, to how that would come about. Yeah,
0: yeah say more about that. What, what is an ontological politics that sounds yeah, well,
1: hard. Yeah, well, I think it's a bit of a fancy term, right? The word ontology, but it in, in mm-hmm. Greek, in Greek, it just means being. And given we, we still live in an era with a lot of allergy to the word, maybe we could say spiritual. I like the word ontological because it kind of covers psychology, the spiritual, whatever you would, even I would even call it the cultural collective. So what I mean by ontological politics is we, that shift to a politics focused on being and also on a, a double level, both that being is a major, the, I don't want to say the goal, the focus of political effort, right? Because every society, every Politics, what I mean in the sense is how do we collectively organize society together? Mm -hmm. Every society has an explicit or implicit sense of possibility for human beings and how to pursue that. Whether it's stayed out loud or not, we can go back to Plato's Republic. Mm -hmm. We can go through to the modern day. And as I said, in the modern day, the economist is God. You know, really, that is in a way that thinking dominates late modernity um in in and it's profoundly dysfunctional. i mean it has great good things i was was an economist for my but it's in a way of seeing human beings as atomized individuals as with these fixed preferences as largely you know being this kind of like what how can we just maximize that is one View and then an ontological politics is one to acknowledge the ontological base of all politics, i.e., that we always have a view of human beings. Secondly, to put the development of our being and the cultivation of our culture as a central goal of political effort versus Mm -hmm. getting more stuff. And to also see, finally, that of the wicked problems we face, which is the other key aspect of political action, which is addressing things which are essentially collective, the climate crisis. Um, i mean many many how we organize society together but particularly things which require collective action that the ontological root of those so we live in again just take an example of the climate crisis many of the times most of the discourse we see is like oh what's the technological solution or even if you're lucky what's the governance solution but rarely is it what 's the ontological solution i what is it in the way that we see the world and that we relate to each other and that we are that is at the source of this crisis and what would we need to transform in that to deal with this
0: crisis powerfully it 's interesting i mean let 's go there uh, because everyone can relate uh, to uh, what is the technological uh, solution to the climate crisis what is the political solution yeah. to, to that even uh, what is the cultural solution to that but what is what is onto, when you say ontological solutions what are you looking at what's yeah. the, not what are the solutions already maybe we go there also yeah. but what's a different perspective that's opening up when you are looking for that
1: right well so i mean by the way it's first on the ontology includes the the personal and the collective which would be called cultural mm-hmm. so when we see um Just take one example is in modernity, even pre-modernity, like nature is something to be, to be kind of have dominion over. Hmm. Like, you know, in the Bible, it says that. And, and you even read, you know, like, let's say you go read back to the sixties even, and you read Marcuse and one dimensional man, you know, this Bible of like Marxist critique, you know, of consumer. He still talks about nature as something to kind of be exploited and dominated, and that is the view that one lived in. Now, when you say well, so, what's the um, so? First of all, just to see the profound roots of separation and the way that nature is seen
0: mm-hmm.
1: as this sort of kind of resource to be used however we wish, and then that ha- that has to that would have to shift. You'd have to come from a perspective into being, of interdependence, of some understanding of ourselves in as part of nature, as opposed to apart from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of these things I'm saying are cliche, but what I want to emphasize about them is they're so easy to say. And they're so, they're really, it's a profound thing. And I'm not claiming myself even to really live that way, Mm
0: -hmm. to
1: really live in an understanding of our interwovenness with each other, with nature, with the cosmos, and to act in that way. Uh, if you
0: understand, if you understand, you're right, and uh, I agree with you. That's easy to misunderstand because it easily sounds like a cliche kind of uh, uh, interbeing, be with. Uh, but uh, it's so easy to miss, and I think that's what you're getting at: how we, by our second nature, have an instrumental relationship to everything. Yes. So that, uh, and it has to do with somehow how we are in the world, how we show up. That's yes. A, uh, which has to do with our modern understanding of subjectivity and objectivity, that I'm a subject and everything, uh, everything are objects we can deal yeah. with and we can optimize. And th- that in itself is is so close to us that we don't see it. It's the
1: It's the water in which we swim. And it's why... Uh, it, exactly, it's the water to the fish. We oh. swim in assumptions about the na- the bit the the kind of the nature of being for human beings. To put it in a Heideggerian, or you know, another example that I just, I mean, I will want to say it's like Erha and the and and Verneha and Landmark. I mean, you know, the superstition of I. And he has a whole wonderful talk, which is again a core tenet of Buddhism. We, we walk around like. I Rufus, I this, I that, um, where there's like, what is this I? I'm just saying ontology and why this is profoundly important, even for society. When I, if I really acknowledge my, the Rufus I, the things I want or think are mm-hmm. so much given by what I, I mean, they're not kind of mine. There isn't some essential Rufus that's, but I'm given by the advertising I've watched, by the books I've read, by the culture I've been by the encounters I've had. It mm-hmm. really calls into question, for example, the sacred cows of liberal capitalism, like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: cons- the, the auton- I'm a consumer, I choose what I want. I used to have these endless arguments with my father about advertising. My father's convinced he was never, it was a very smart man. He was convinced he wasn't influenced by advertising. And I was just like, are you joking? These, these people spend, very intelligent people, spend billions of dollars I have no influence like try and find me someone who acknowledges their influence by advertising but this is the point in 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 you know in buddhist thought or and in an untouchable word, that's totally accepted now and again even let's take a more sacred cow oh mm-hmm. so you know what you want so you get to vote now two of the core things of modernity democracy and the free market in a way are founded on these Deep ontological suppositions of me as some atomic individual who knows what I want, who has preferences, which somehow just arrived here. Once you question that, you're like, wow, well, that's kind of now you've got to be subtle. We're not saying anything that went down the route of of kind of I want to be clear of. um, Marxist paternalism, you know, like that—you, you kind of—you don't know what you want because you've got the full false consciousness story. But there's a line to walk here, that, which is common, like commitment without attachment in Buddhism. There's a place to be that isn't attached but isn't detached. Similarly, mm-hmm. there's a place to acknowledge that the non-selfness, that the arising of our preferences and how that came to be, and therefore how that we should be wise mm-hmm. about cultivating them, without falling into that that means someone else knows for me um mm. and, and and that's again just to cite two sides there's a wonderful talk by Thich Nhat Hanh called Technology is Horse so he's gone to Google and he's trying to talk with Google about how they should well may, you know how they should maybe they're asking what can we do to make you know technology addiction you know address it and so on and he starts talking about the teaching Buddhism that you know a little bit about this one thing is just like, Hey, you know, if we started putting things into apps that for example, didn't, you know, didn't show you notifications all the time, we're kind of interfering with people's consumer sovereignty. You know, this engineer said. And really says, and Tina Hahn says a little bit, people don't know that. What are you talking about? Like kind of in a way, it's not like, you know, what you want. That's a really deep practice to really know what you want mm-hmm. that and that and the guy's a bit shocked. And now it's a subtle point, as I said. It's not saying that therefore Thich Nhat knows better, but it is saying that maybe he, he or there are traditions which teach us paths where we can cultivate the ability to truly know what we want, for example.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, to one other story is famously the Buddha of, you know, the, this, this, this cow that has this disease and all its skin is rotting off. And whenever it stands next to a tree, all these insects come out and eat its flesh. And whenever it stands next to a wall, the insects come out of the wall and eat its flesh. And the Buddha says, that's you. That is you and, your, and what you consume with your mind and your body. You are that cow. So you should be really thoughtful about what you consume. Mm. And that again, when you come to ontological politics, Just take me one concrete example. In a world of true ontological politics, I can't imagine advertising being permitted Mm. in the way it is today. Just one very concrete example.
0: Well, that's powerful, and I really would like to uh, uh, focus on something that, uh, listening to you, I I find more and more fascinating, which is the combination of the two words words that you're using, ontological politics, uh, which both have Greek uh, roots. one is being, and the other is the polis. It's the way we live together. The city, yeah, the community. And the city, and uh, where you seem to come from uh, seems to be very also inspired by what we call the mindfulness movement of the last thirty years. Which uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, although he didn't associate himself with that, uh, is a big representative of it in 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 some way, which is not just Buddhism, but it's also uh, Buddhist influenced. Is mindfulness which in itself is already very much what you call ontological it's 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 basically breaking open our ontological foundations by being mindful and being aware that maybe my eye sense is not as i think it is if i don't let go but you put it together with politics which is the way how we live together and with politics i i would like to go polis in all sizes polis yeah. In, in, in the sizes of how we live together in, in, in communities, how we live uh, together in our regions and how we live together in our nation states and how we live together on this planet. But it's the question how we live together and how we organize mm-hmm. our living together. So there's something that seems to me a step beyond what the mindfulness movements did in the last 30 years, bringing these two dimensions together and, and asking the question, how can we think this as one? And I think what's happening, also how we started the conversation, uh, people kind of trying to find new ways to live and work together is very inspired by this too, making one out of them.
1: Absolutely. I I think two things. Well, in the implicit question, one about the mindfulness uh, movement Which is, I think, so. There's just amazing things about that. I think in some some people can now mean it to become a sort of either a a kind of denatured, in the sense, it's 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 been taken from its kind of ethical or spiritual context and become you know you can become mindful while learning to be a better sniper. Kind of it 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 can be you it can become simply a psycho technology um, without the the wisdom context. I mean, almost to reference, I think Viveki a little bit in that like. any any set of pra- practice like that wants to, I think, and again, like Thich Nhat Hanh would say this very strongly and others, wants to be embedded in an ethical, cultural and kind of spiritual tradition, I would, I would suggest, an mm-hmm. ontological tradition, as opposed. And I think the other thing is maybe it's become quite individual in the West. Mm-hmm. And what I really hear, and I think you're so right, is that the collective is crucial here. And again, relates to the politics, but more generally, I could say for at least two or three reasons. Uh, like, uh, you know, I, I think it's important. One is that for if we were just even focused on what we could call kind of left quadrants integral, but or inner or even upper left, mm-hmm. you not know, inner experience, actually, a lot of that growth requires the interaction in the collective, the challenges. There's so much of my shadow, so much of my um, reactivity of me personally, Rufus has shown up in the collective, (laughs) you know, having, having to uh, cook together or having to uh, interact with others who are different from me um, that it's in terms of growth. I really think there is a limit to some extent of one's at least uh, cleaning up growth, you know, even waking up growth and others if without a collective kind of interaction and even collective practice. Mm.
0: So, and yeah. uh, if I may respond to that, yeah. uh, in this connection of these two dimensions, the being and the, and, and the polis uh, dimension, the uh, the kind of mindfulness uh, and the, if I may say so, being in the world together yeah. dimension. In, in some sense, also, at least to my understanding, goes beyond Buddhism in some way. And I know Thich Nhat Hanh went, in my sense, a little beyond Buddhism because Buddhism, in its origins, is very much focused on the liberation of the individual. In, in, in that, and there is something where it's not kind of how do we organize uh, our living together. In in that sense, it was not the main focus. Thich Nhat Hanh would not yes. agree with me, but I would see. It. I I would see. I would yes. see it that way. But what I find is happening right now is exactly kind of with the foundations of mindfulness and everything to really enter the collective space and see how this changes our being together in the world it's not just transcending the world there's, yeah. there's an element of transcending the world which you touched on by yeah yeah no but absolutely but, but there is also a imminence in really arriving in the world and finding a way how to live together. And by the way, finding a way how to deal with things like the climate change.
1: Yeah, so I think really to build on that and to agree with it, a key point of, let's say, ontological politics or even of life itself is it's like you kind of need the both. You need the presence and the purpose. You need the being in the world. You need the individual and the collective. Mm. You really also need um, the inner transformation and... You need complex systems work or you need governance change or you mm-hmm. need to go and engage in politics we need the both and um I, and i think one point i don't need to go into in depth is that at least i don't think that actually that buddhism was actually about individual liberation because in buddhism there wouldn't necessarily be an individual but i think there's a point which is it didn't have a political program it was like it wasn't like it was like but it, like, it wasn't like buddha wrote you know the republic as well as you know the sutras you know now i think there you know, i'm not there are good reasons for that you know, tradition when Buddha was asked by kings for kind of advice about how to run their kingdoms, I think quite intelligently, sometimes he was, he kind of declined, at least according to whatever stories we have, or or gave general advice of like, you know, be wise, you know, follow, follow, right the, you know, the eightfold path. And I, and I think that you're right, that right now there's this incredible opportunity of, of kind of, of integration of, these these things even in ontology politics this coming together of several thousand years of what you most could call scientific um phenomenology scientific ontology of 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 modern cognitive science of our understanding of human beings and of political thought uh, and social and economic thought about how to organize society and coming together at several levels so first of all that the, all of the progress we have made technologically and so on has enabled new opportunities for how we organize mm-hmm. society even this very cool right now that i am speaking to you over hundreds or thousands of kilometers with th- this technology this is a radical to, to come now very concrete if we want to build more collectives a classic problem has been hey since even the 60s or, or before you know i've I, I've studied, I've done a relatively extensive study of communes and intentional communities in the last 200 years. Your big problem is you have to move somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, for a variety of economic reasons, that never meant the middle of nowhere. That generally you were involved in farming, which for most people turned out to be harder than they, they thought. Um, so, one of the just radical opportunities right now is we can come together and work without necessarily having to come together in person. So, this opens up huge vistas for collaboration, for forming intentional communities or collectives who want to engage in uh, kind of, I would call it both inner and outer development or experimentation. That's just huge. Um, I mean, I think this is bigger than the, I mean, it's bigger than, bigger than the railway. It's bigger than many of the changes in, in physical or technological communication in human history. And COVID obviously in some ways helped us see that even if all the challenges also see that. And that's just, but that, and, and so what I want to say, these coming together, this interweaving of what this fruition of this inner work from the East and West and this outer work. And that's also the, comes back to that term, the second Renaissance, which I owe a little bit to Varela, Francesco Varela, where he was pointing, like, you know, in the, in the 14th, 15th century, it was rediscovering the Greeks, the Romans, the, 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 the authors of antiquity mm-hmm. in the West. And this, renaissance is a flowering of suddenly the west has in a way got to encounter eastern i would call them empirical ontology of two and a half thousand years that went the right route that you know unfortunately the western tradition and we could go off here but the western philosophical tradition went down kind of major mistake i think with the socratics and plato that heidegger talks about and i think that you know the, the east kind of got right in understanding key points about the nature of human beings and reality that make a really big difference to how we mm. see the world, like the being point that we talked about, about non-duality and so on. And that is this flowering of the second race, a, a chance for, you know, faith and science to come back together and all kinds of things that we see happening in even, you know, cognitive science and you know, Buddhism and other traditions. Um, and, and then practically at the level of what we can create, you know, the great failure I want to say of the sixties was, I think it was ontologically very immature. It kind of thought, Hey, it's capitalism, man, that's oppressing or whatever it is. We're just going to go and form our commune. And mm-hmm. then it's going to work out. We're going to have got rid of the, whatever it is, the alienation or the oppression. And now we're all just going to like hold hands and sing, come by which is an exaggeration, but it was in that sense, often lacking. No,
0: it's interesting. Interesting that you're going there because uh, uh, I thought about this right now, as, as, as you were talking uh, there, w- there was a split in the 60s. Yes. There was a split uh, between the political 60s and the spiritual 60s. Uh, and they went yes. very, very different routes. One went to India and the other uh, basically organized uh, the May revolution in, in Paris or something like that. They they were at odds with each other. They, uh, I mean, they were overlaps, but basically they were very separate. One was about organizing Society in a neo-Marxist understanding, mostly. The other was a rediscovery of internali- internality in uh, discovering the East in, disca- in going to India, in going to, to the East, meditating, and doing all kind and all kinds of mistakes happened on, on all levels, and a lot of things went wrong. But somehow one also could make the argument that the second Renaissance that you're talking has its roots there. Absolutely, but, but something needed time with its own failures to find a level of integration that's only possible now. Tot- I think that's
1: such a brilliant point. And I'd say, you know, you go back again to even the Renaissance. What we now know, you know, you know Thomas Aquinas, the, the high point of medieval scholasticism was pretty close. And we're already actually now know, we're actually reading some of the texts via, via Spain and the Arabs We're already had some early access to obviously, the, so I think that, I'm just reiterating that the roots of I think what is coming had had those seeds and you're right, it took time to mature. And I think one of the points maybe to build on that is what separated and while it's not going back to maybe the Marxist or the naive, like we're just gonna form a commune and it's gonna be egalitarian somehow. Um, those experiments maybe to happen on both sides and both things had incredible strengths and, and weaknesses. Um, You know, I think one was kind of naive and didn't have enough inner work and the other became a bit, didn't see, you know, maybe lost touch with what we would need in social, broader social change. But in an integrated sense, an integral perspective,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. we're in a moment when they can be woven back together in a really powerful whole, potentially, Mm -hmm. ontological politics, if you like.
0: Yeah, because... One could also talk about what you say, ontological politics and turn around and could say it's collective mindfulness. Yeah. It's yeah. So- somehow uh, pointing at least in the, in, the, in the same direction. And that seems to what is happening right now at many levels. Uh, there, there is a, a whole new development. I mean, what we are working in the is, is part of this, of a, a collective mindfulness kind of v spaces that are, are able to be beyond the object subject divide and, and create a synergy by being present in a different way and there are many other uh, places where, where this happens so it's, it's, it seems to be a movement uh, in culture that uh, something wants to form here and also try, try yeah. to find its own form and the different Laboratories will try and something will work and something won't work, and we'll find. in 30 years we'll know more what worked and what didn't work in all that. but we are in the midst of finding ways to also learn from what we have learned in the last 30 years, because I think the mindfulness yes. movement was the mindfulness movement was the initial uh, dismantling of the Western ontology, I would say yes that the, the, the whole Dikartian, uh identity that we created and that defines us as modern people, uh, got the seed of dismantling was already on the meditation cushions that many people for now many years sat on, also with many failures and whatever. It's not an ideal thing. That it, it, it's, it's, it's reality. A lot of mistakes happen all the time. But something was born there that we now stand on and can work with. It allows us to have a different use your words ontology in dealing with what we have to deal with, how we live in this world together.
1: Absolutely. I mean, to put it, Descartes made this incredible tiny trap, which is the I, the lie that is I, I think, therefore I am. What he should have said, there is doubting, or there is, there is awareness of these things. And that's what we've got out of and then start to see the unfolding of. I think what I, wanna maybe if it's okay, build on there is yes. to say there really first of all, yes, there's this sense of the collective mindfulness or the ontological politics, this weaving together. And um I, to mention even one in the practice, I know like emergent dialogue, I think this combination you can see it there of the the presence, but also able to hold purpose without it kind of becoming a, a are getting somewhere, which is another great curse of myself and maybe the West. I could say, if you know, we've got to get somewhere, we've got to fix something, we've got to resolve it. And the point you mentioned about experimentation. So one of the big questions then is how does this happen? It, it, as I said, the history is littered, littered unfortunately with these failures of intentional communities or experiments to kind of pioneer the future. How can we do better? without it being a grasping, like we've got to do better, we've got to engineer it. But like a gardener, I would like to say, a gardener is both experimenting, it's a craft, and we do learn from experience. We do know that, oh, this soil is alkali, so these kind of plants will grow here. This soil is acidic, so these kind of plants will grow here. One of the really uh, big points I think right now is to think for ourselves, about that kind of how, what ecology of practices, what are the ways that we just need to economically try and structure things. Like I said, you know, many communities or e- experiments or efforts break down for simple financial reasons okay. in a way. You know, they can't sustain themselves. What can we learn? What patterns, what practices can we share? And as I said, I like that word ecology. How do they fit together? Um, and that, that I think is something that, I am intensely interested in and I'm intentioned to learn from and also to share the learnings that, that we've had so far around that area, but most importantly, to try and discover others and mm-hmm. to try and even, I don't want to say, at least collect mm-hmm. those insights yeah. as, as they're coming up.
0: Now that's, that, that's powerful. And that relates to what John Mavake and others call ecology of practices. Yes, I think it also relates to what you said before about uh, th- this amazing new uh, possibility because of the internet. Yes, because we all of us we we're limited. We, we 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 only can do a limited whatever. But uh, because of this completely different uh, for- form of communication and being together, we are in in a way where we can do, let's say, our thing. Whatever this is, maybe body practice, maybe a community building, maybe a dialogical practice, maybe a new f- form of system thinking, maybe what, whatever, but we can connect dialogically and weave it so that nobody of us holds it. There is an ec- ecology of practices means that it's a living system that becomes a whole and uh, what people like Jordan Hall call distributed uh, 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 meaning making means exactly. That none of us has to hold the whole meaning, we can do both at the same time do our thing, but in an informed way and learn and find how to how we create synergy between all of that. I feel this movement of different of different communities of different people working together and and also this movement that I see on online conversations like this, which is a completely new thing in the a cultural history of, of humanity yes, that yes. we can have deep conversations like this uh, just on a snap and we can connect without traveling and uh, we can learn and there's a completely different situation that we just have to really understand what what the possibility is and that this is one of a possible foundation of what you call the second renaissance yes yes
1: totally and And to the key, I think is to recognize we really also to come back to the primacy of being point mm-hmm. i e if you want to think of it for people who are integral familiar, it would be like the primacy of the left quadrants that to that technology makes so much possible, but without our in, the the work whether you're whether you're in a group physically co-located or whether you're on the internet. The break, same breakdowns can happen of collective mean sense making, which you know. So that and and so it makes so much possible, and it, it's like that um, that has gone up. So we also need to kind of really practice on the side of our the the, in, the inner side um, because one of the things I think that's really. really critical to understand for my, I think for myself is our kind of mind addiction and our addiction to, I'm not uh, to, I'll call it structural technological fixes. So (laughs) what's, just in simple, simple things. I mean, whether it's when is living together, one's work collectively online, how does one uh, th- that's, that's amazing. And still the same kind of challenges are going to come up in, in like, how do we, what, how do we deal with disagreement? How do we uh, deal with uh, decisions? How do we, do, how do we make, when we, when we do this like distributed cognition, how do I know, how do I know when to kind of like delegate my, viewpoint on x to somebody somebody else or not you know these these really you know the analogy I always give that I think that we don't yet have is the way we've scaled a lot of that in our societies is by creating well I mean Weber would put this you know creating rational structures we measure things we have rules about them it seems to me that in the second renaissance part of it is some Thing as we say, I like the term gardening, or even I sometimes think medicine is like this. People think medicine is actually more scientific than it is. There is obviously a load of science in medicine, but there's a huge amount of judgment and expertise in it. Or even being a lawyer is a good example, whatever be you know. But the gardening is a good, there's clearly science that forms it, but it's a kind of craft, or zen masters. There is not a checklist by which you decide someone is a Zen master or Zen Mistress. You don't say, okay. You know, like here you come to the exam. Oh yes, you check that. You check. That. It's somehow determined by this community practice that approves others. And why I say this is, as we try to weave, and there's a lot of discussion. In our sense space about how do we do collective sense making, but it shows up in how do we make collective choices within a group or community, which are the, the things that they break down so frequently about. How do we do that? And it, and it comes back also to really challenging things. I think is one of the most central and brilliant things, but is most challenging in Wilbur's point about growth and Growth versus dominator hierarchies. How do we understand or deal with people who have more expertise? How do we acknowledge that? How do we weave that together? And why I mention this again at the end is because it's one of the things that's hard ontologically and also what a load of politics has been about. How You know, Plato's, the first work that we have of kind of political theory basically has a sort of dictatorship of these experts, (laughs) the philosopher kings, which we all, you know, often has been, you know, through to pop today. has been critiqued as the beginning of authoritarianism and kind of totalitarianism. And then the other way we've gone of kind of radical egalitarian democracy is also dysfunctional, um, I think, a lot of the time in actually running things. And it's why most things, you know, most organizations don't actually run as radical egalitarian democracies. And I do think the path out of that, it's like the mind-body problem. Mm -hmm. The mind-body problem sort of dissolves when you move to another level, the kind of the duality problem no longer, it shows up in scientific materialism, but as you transcend scientific materialism, it sort of dissolves away. Um, And similarly, this really profound political problem which is how do we sort of have efficiency or just recognize the different capabilities or, you know, and delegate and so on? But then how did we stop that becoming, you know, going bad, becoming authoritarian or bureaucratic or sclerotic? The way to trans there's no governance hack. There's no clever way to fix the system, but there mm-hmm. is a way that the system combined with ontological growth can, can transform that. And the crudest way to think that is imagine a world inhabited where we're all sort of Buddhas. Well, we could imagine very different ways of organizing and running society in that world than we could right now. Um, I'm not saying we have to wait for that. There's a dance where constant evolution, mm-hmm. new, new stages of being enable new ways of organizing, just as the way that people started thinking about human beings allowed the French Revolution I mean, all the good things of the French Revolution. what I mean is you know, the kind of epitome of modernity, liberty, equality, fraternity. And I always joke, that we, you know, that was modernity's motto. Liberté, égalité, fraternité. And what it should be the motto of whatever comes next, of the Second Renaissance or what is, or whatever you call it. And you know, I always, you know, liberation, true liberation, you know, equanimity, and kind of, I don't know what you'd call the collective, but you know that the, the kind of interbeing. So those that was the motto of what comes <laughs> in liberation, of, interbeing.
0: Huh? Well, it's called cool. in, in connection of the American Revolution. Uh, people talk also how the American Revolution was a declaration of de- of independence, and what we now need is a declaration of interdependence.
1: Exactly, yeah the weaving together again of rights and responsibilities and these things. And I think that's to finish is that's why also, and maybe at life itself, like one of the things at the micro level is we need to find, we need to do these experiments and how we work and live together and Mm. really try them. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where we can try out our ecology of practices. And that's where what can sound like really great things to say become daily encounters, daily practices, daily learning, and I think we have a unique opportunity, actually so far in human history, for the technological reasons, for cultural reasons, for ontological reasons, uh, for social, social and economic reasons, why that is possible, and also why it is essential in this moment of profound crisis as well. Thank you, Rufus. Thank you very much.